Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourself, our family, and others. I would like to know what's coming. So who should I listen to? The politicians speak the loudest, but it seems they have confidence, but their record is not so good. Um, Historians, they study the past, uh, but not the future. Some say we should listen to them, and others say we shouldn't. How about Bible scholars? They say the Bible's always right. But we don't quite know when things are going to happen from them. And you can think about Nostradamus and other fortune tellers, but really it's pretty hard to decode what they have to say. And besides, if you look at what they have said in the past, they have, especially fortune tellers, they have a 50-50 chance of being correct. And that's the same as flipping a coin. Okay, so who else? I know, how about prophetic Christians? Uh, They tend to warn you instead of being a predictor, but um, there is still a chance, and and there have been ones who've predicted accurately in the past, and they have said some very interesting things about the United States and what we could expect. Uh, first, I will say, in general, they say that uh, there is a spiritual darkness to come over the land, followed by the spread of, well, let's call them difficulties or calamities in a physical sense, but nobody is given dates. And about these people, they they don't... Well, anyway, if you want to know names, uh, that's a different matter. Today, let's just talk about uh, one who has a good reputation, and that's David Wilkerson. He is uh, basically from New York City, and he has become widely acknowledged to be a prophet of God. And when he did speak prophetically in his 1973 vision, there were things that would happen, and we can listen to them and be cautious. The first thing he said was that there would be a worldwide recession, and the second thing would be earthquakes, famine, and a cosmic fire in the sky, and third, that there would be an abundance of filth like pornography, and fourth, there would be rebellion in the home, and fifth, there would be Christian persecution. Now, what about all these things happen, happening? Well, we still don't know when, but there's, there's uh, all these things that a prophet of God says will happen. Um, all this does also include a, a super world church with uh, widespread homosexuality and occult practices. So, in general, there will be Christian persecution and calamities. Now, after giving his warning about all these things happening, he says, but don't worry because God has everything under control. Yeah, that's right. God has not given us to have a spirit of fear, but rather a sound mind. So, that was his abbreviated description of his 1973 vision. So, like I said, recession, earthquakes, famine, and cosmic fire in the sky. We don't exactly know what that is, but there will be a bunch of things happening. So, I say, like I always do, start your preparations now before there is an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. This is episode 38, and remember to give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. Your letters with questions or donations are important. 
John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. I save your God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Settle up your Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome, world, to Red Sky Radio and the Red Sky Radio Ranch, where we ride hard for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you today. I have to tell you right here at the launch, uh, this is going to be like about three or four weeks ago where I was a little bit, just a tad bit, tamped down because of the location and the circumstances under which I was broadcasting. And today is the same. Once again, I am traveling. I'm in a motel room, a hotel room, well, whatever it is. doesn't really matter anyway. And I have, uh, it's 5.30 in the morning. I have no, this is the time that I need to prepare the program and get it out to you guys. Um, I hope that I'm not waking up the people uh, to the, my left and to my right. But if I am, I hope that they're liberals because they need to hear this program just as much as everybody else. I am not here to upset them. I'm here to inform them. I'm not here to castigate them. I'm here to help correct them. But today's topic is special because I have promised this for a, for about three weeks now that we would get to this topic of when do we disobey civil authority. I have promised this, and I, I, it has bothered me that I have put it off for a couple of weeks dealing with the topic of back-to-back, uh, back-to-back weeks dealing with abortion, which I hope that you have listened to those programs. If you have not, be sure and get them on a podcast, which you can do through darkskyradio.com, through, uh, gosh, where else can they get the podcast? Through, uh, boy, I'm, I'm forgetting the channels and the vehicles uh, by which they can you can get the program. You can always go to redskyradio.net where we cover the last the current program in the last two weeks prior to that, which will cover both of the programs on abortion, which are critical. And I understand now why those needed to precede this program. It is because since I did those programs, we have the most radical, outrageous, God-hating, unborn child-hating woman announce for presidency that we have ever had in the United States in the body and the mind and the spirit of Kamala Harris. If if Hillary Clinton was Jezebel, biblically, this is Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. She is horrible. She is ter- She's from the pit of hell. I will just tell you that. She goes around advocating, stating that she's an advocate for the voiceless. And yet there is no person who is more insistent on snuffing out the voiceless who are in the womb than this wicked witch of the West. Wicked witch of the West Coast, I will call her. 
She is bad news no matter how you look at it. And just like everybody else on the Democrat side, but this woman is already off to a head start. So the fact that she is already so popular, the fact that she has already gone, she's trying to out-left the left, she's out to out-left what's left of the left, of the old left, I should say, this is why this message is so relevant, because I could probably retitle this if Kamala Harris were president. When do we disobey Kamala Harris? Now, I have promised I'm going to start with good news, and I didn't start with good news, so i got to back up here and just fit this in. I want to thank the listeners all over the world listening to this program. This week we are at a new, uh, I'm sorry, last week we were at a new record high for the number of listeners. Uh, Last week's program has yet to be aired on one more outlet. We are already at a record of north of 35,000 listeners, and that's before that program airs uh, one more time here. So we're going to see, I don't know if we hit 36, if we hit 40, 45, I don't know where it is. But I praise God that this message is getting out. I thank the Lord immensely for those who have helped financially and technically in getting this program out because I'm not the one with the finances and I'm definitely, definitely not the tech guy anybody is looking for. You can put the microphone in front of me and I'm okay, but ask me to run anything else. I'm, I'm not there. And I will just, I will just say this as a, as a bit of an aside. I will never forget the time that because I had had a cold I was coughing, and I was sipping hot tea with lemon in it and honey and all that stuff while I was doing a program. And when I was done, a party told me, you know, there's such a thing in the studio as a cough button, that when you feel a cough coming on, you just hit this button for the very second that you're coughing, and it just sort of bleeps it out, and it's such a momentary, um, just just a most minute bit of silence that nobody picks it up. And I thought, oh, my God. Gosh, this is so cool. And the next week, um, I, I was over the cold, but I had that nagging, lingering cough, you know, the kind that sometimes just slams you up against a wall coming out of nowhere. And I had that cough. And I thought, oh, my gosh, praise God for this thing. Whoever developed this cough button. I did the program. I got out of the studio. And somebody said, man, alive, you just hacked your way through that program. And I said, what do you mean? I was hitting the cough button. They went into the studio. They said, yeah, but the cough button, pal, has to be plugged in. It was not plugged in. So this is the kind of tech guy I am. So I thank you on the tech side. You know who you are. And the contributors to Red Sky Radio, I thank you so much. Because you, the combination, are making this program expand rapidly around the entire world. And, And I just, I can't say enough, and thank God, enough for you. Now, On to when must we disobey civil authorities. Now, I realize that this program may well be illegal in many of the countries that are uh, people listening to this program. That in the United States, maybe you can get away with more of opposing civil authority. Some of you are listening in countries where if you oppose civil authority, you're dead, you're arrested, you're sued, your family's taken away. I understand all of that. But this program is not only for you to understand where you stand within the Word of God in doing what he may be tapping you to do, but also to build up those here in the United States who think that somehow you just have to go along with everything the government does and says. Now, we have witnessed the outbreak of lawlessness on the left since President Trump was elected. It is, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous how lawless and what they say about him. I ah, kill him here, kill him there, bloody heads, you name it. I mean, every other, every fourth word is the F word out of a Democrat's mouth because that's just a central part of their vocabulary, as they say. What is it that they say? All of a sudden, I blanked out on what they say. And who, who are they anyway? No. <laughs> that the person who uses profanity, certainly with any excess or regularity, is a, a, what is he? 
Just a second. Set that aside. Uh, it'll come to me later in the program. All of a sudden, I blanked out on who they are and what they said. All right, let's move on. <laughs> hey, you know what? I may, I think what I'm being taught here is maybe you don't do a program at 5.30 in the morning. No, I'm awake. I just, I just didn't pull that together. But I realize this program may be illegal in many countries. But I want to start with reading a passage from Scripture, which sort of sets the tone for this, but it also sets the stage for misinterpretation by those who think that you just have to do whatever the government says under all circumstances. Now, the reason this is relevant is because we are coming closer to those points here in the United States, certainly after Mr. Trump is gone, where this will become more relevant than other than at other times. Christians will be heading for the hills. They will fall back on this passage from Romans as their excuse for not having the guts to say and do what needs to be said and done and for uh, and, and for going along, which that is which is abominable. Here's a passage from Romans thirteen one through four. Let every subject, every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Do I agree with this? Of course I do. But understand that what we are talking about here is a government that does good to take revenge upon and discipline and become a terror to those who do evil. How about those who actually do good but are under a government that is evil? Well, it just said those powers are there that are of God. That's true. God let Pharaoh be in place, did he not? And he took care of him. There is no power that God is not permitted to be there or appointed to be there. But does every power that's there do God's work and be the minister of righteousness? No. We know that there are evil. Can you say that about Adolf Hitler? Did God allow him to be there or put him there? Yes, he did. Does that mean you were to have obeyed him because he was doing the work of God? Was he a righteous person who was punishing evil in the land? No, he was an evil person who was punishing righteousness. You see, the, a ruler is not a terror to good works, but that's, that is his appointed job. This is the, and this is what people miss. That is the role of the leader, but it's not what necessarily the leader does in every circumstance. I, you can look throughout, the, particularly the Old Testament, every t whether it was Saul, whether it was any one of a gazillion kings in Israel, and a number of kings in Judah, when they became evil, God raised up people against them. Throughout the book of Judges, folks, every single time there was evil in the land, God brought in somebody to judge the evil and punish the Hebrews, but then the Hebrews, there would be a Hebrew who would be raised up, whether it was Gideon or whether it was Deborah. You can go right on down the line. There were a number of, of them who rose up and challenged the evil power, the evil authority. Was the evil there? Was it Were they put in place to punish Israel? Yes. Was Israel then, after it repented, supposed to bow down and continue all of the sins and idolatry that they did before and that the new power now imposed? Of course not. That would just make a butchery of this passage out of Romans. They are placed by God, but they are God's servants, and if the servant disobeys and starts punishing those who do good or preventing those who do uh, want to do good and imposing evil, that is a whole different story. Here's the bottom line. Romans 13, 1, 
makes it very clear that, number one, all authority is from God, but number two, the authority from God is delegated. This is critical. God establishes the office, but never is the office or its occupant autonomous from God. And like any employee that you would hire, the minute they step out of following your orders, you fire them. If there are orders, then the the instructions that you give to an employee are not correct. I mean, you all know it's correct, but the employee, in this case the ruler, does that which is blatantly incorrect or sinful. Would you expect other people to obey your employee who has violated your own orders? You see, what happens here is you've got God who's righteous, you have a king or a president or somebody who's unrighteous who should be righteous. God's established the office, maybe he's put the person in the office, but they're not autonomous from God. So the person who disobeys an evil king is a person who's actually obeying God. Got it? This is really important. The beginning of understanding Scripture in this area is to understand what Jesus meant when he said, to render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. You cannot be obedient to a wicked power and do, I'm not saying not be obedient in anything. Uh, You're going to see the difference here in a few minutes. There are some things for which you must disobey because disobedience to the civil power will become obedience to God. And we are to render under God that which is God, and you give Caesar what is Caesar's. It says, to the extent possible, you live peaceably with all men. But Scripture is very clear, to the extent possible. It doesn't mean that you carry out the evil schemes of a wicked king and bow down to that which we will see. So I'm going to give you, you may want to write these down, just, and I say just because there are more than these. I don't have time to fit more than these in. I think seven or eight examples of godly disobedience to the civil authorities. First of all, Exodus 1, Exodus 1, 15 to 22. And what was going on? Pharaoh, obviously the head of Egypt, but he was head of the Middle East. He was, it appears, the most powerful person in the world at that time. So we're talking about a major civil authority, right? The highest civil authority, which God put in place. And he told the Hebrew midwives that when the Hebrew women were on the birthing stools, if it was a woman, let the woman, if it was a girl, let her live. If it was a boy, kill the boy. The Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They would not carry out Pharaoh's evil of executing innocent Hebrew children. Uh, Cammie Harris, are you listening? You should be listening because this is for you, baby. I'll tell you, you are Pharaoh here. You talk about being the the advocate for the voiceless. Should we be disobeying orders to abort people or doctors? Absolutely. These Hebrew midwives did just that. They would not kill the Hebrew males coming out of the womb. And they didn't tell Pharaoh the truth about it either. They said, ah, these, these Jewish women, man alive do they deliver quickly. They are so fast that those babies are out and they're and they're already apparently apparently uh, crying or screaming or whatever they do and they come right out of the womb and the people outside the tent can hear that so everybody knows that you got a live baby in there so if they are crying and now you kill them and they're silenced well they know they would know that you've killed them this was to be done in secret they they disobeyed Pharaoh and they also did not tell him the truth and what what does God say? It said that he honored these women for honoring him, and he provided peace for them. He gave them peace. Number two, Joshua, chapter two, Rahab, the harlot, the head of the city, the head of Jericho, the king of Jericho, said that he knew that there were spies. He came into Rahab's house. He came there and said, turn over the spies. She said, I don't have any spies here. So she did. She she lied. She didn't tell them the truth. They were up on the roof. Then she lets them go, and then she tells that they went off in a different direction. Did she disobey? Yes, absolutely disobeyed and did not tell the truth to 
the highest civil authority known to the people of Jericho, the king. And what is her reward? Her reward is he. she is twofold. She and her family are delivered when the walls of Jericho come down. They are delivered, and she ends up being in the ancestral line of Jesus. A harlot who disobeyed the king and then lied to the king. 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen and 18. These are servants of the king who refused the king's order to kill the king's priest. Saul ordered the priest killed. His servants said, we're not killing the priest. You do it. You do it, but we're not, we're not doing it. They absolutely steadfastly refused to follow the king's orders. The book of Esther, Mordecai in chapter 3. The king orders that all people are to bow down to Haman, that wicked, evil Haman. Was, I, I did a program a long time ago that Haman was a type, or Barack Obama was a type of Haman. And that's true, he is. Um, but, he, but, but Mordecai refused. Mordecai refused, and later on, his cousin, it is not his niece, it is his cousin, Esther, does, disobeys the order of the king, and she comes in before him when she has not been requested to appear. Now, he preserves her. And, folks, if you're wondering why Esther was such a so drop-dead gorgeous, here's maybe an example, because when she walked in before the king, Without notice, without permission, which was illegal, the, says the king hadn't seen the most be- <laughs> this woman in thirty days. So imagine, okay, so you haven't seen your wife, who's a who's drop dead gorgeous, most the the biggest knockout in the kingdom, and you haven't seen her for a month, and she walks in. What are you going to do? Go, oh, wow, man! I mean, would you kill that? Of course not. So anyway, God gave her beauty for just such a time as that. But she, but she disobeyed the rule of the kingdom. That was the, the rule. You couldn't do that. Now, the king didn't have to carry out the execution orders, but, but it was illegal, just like Haman. Guess what happens? Haman ends up basically running Persia. He's the man. He the man. He's in charge. And Esther is elevated. You see that the obedience to God which exceeded the obedience to earthly authority for which God rewarded Esther and Mordecai with phenomenal, incredible promotion. Isn't that amazing? Gee, you know what? We're not out out of examples here. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ordered, ordered to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar and his the image that was made and what do they say? Hey, oh Nebi, no, they probably don't. They probably said something, you know. Well, I mean, we don't know all that they said. We do know a few things that they said. Said, so, you know, we're we're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Do what you want. Our God will deliver us from the punishment that you have purposed for our disobedience. He will do. But even if He doesn't. We're not doing it, King. King, we are not going to bow down and worship you. No way under any circumstance are we going to go ahead and kill us or try to kill us. God will deliver us. If he doesn't, so what? We still aren't going to do it. I love these guys. I've said this before. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three guys I wish I knew in junior high. I think they would just have been fun to form relationships with these guys, hang out with them and see the formation of young boys into godly men to the point where they could look the king in the eye and say, we ain't doing it. We're not doing that business. Later in Daniel, Daniel himself, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. What is Daniel doing here? He is disobeying an order. I realize the order of the king was something that was that the king was tricked into. But nonetheless, the king's order is the king's order. 
And then he'd bow down and he worshiped when he wasn't supposed to and facing Jerusalem. And he did that, which he wasn't supposed to do. Of course, you know the story. The king is forced, forced to throw him into the lion's den as a result of disobeying the highest authority known on the face of the planet at that time. And God rewarded him not only with his life, but with elevation in that kingdom. God promoted him for his disobedience to the highest civil authority there was when the obedience to God necessitated being disobedient to the civil authorities. This is really, really important. So I'm going to go back here and just and just restate something here that has got to be said again because you have to you have to get this down that all authority from God is delegated authority. God has turned it over to individuals. He establishes the office, but never is the office or its occupant autonomous from God or above God. Never do your obligations to civil authority exceed the obligations you have to God. Now, now you might say, well, gosh, that means aren't, are we like the free men or the sovereign America or those things or where, where we just disobey everything? Of course not. No, we have the obligation to obey, generally speaking, set out in Romans 13. And you might throw in Titus 1 and 2. That pretty much says the same thing, but I don't have the time to read that. So the general obligation of being uh, obedient to the civil authority is clearly established because those are God's ministers under righteousness. But when those ministers are no longer righteous, then the obligation to obey is no longer there when it falls into two clear and distinct categories. There are two times when you must disobey. Two times. First of all, when the law commands you to do something that Scripture prohibits. When the law commands you to do something that Scripture prohibits. Or number two, when the law prohibits you from doing something that Scripture commands. Now, if you have written down all those passages I just gave you, which are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight examples. And those are, oh, you know what? I forgot one. I totally forgot this. Some might say, oh, that's Old Testament. So, no, come on, don't give me that. So I'll give you one out of Acts 4, 19 and 20. Peter and John were commanded after healing the man to not speak. Not speak in the name of Jesus. Not to speak about Jesus or speak in the name of Jesus. And what is their response? What is their response? They say, you decide whether we should obey God or obey man, but as for us, we cannot but help speak the word of God. They were saying, look, you can tell us to not speak the word of God, but we have no choice but to speak the word of God. So you give us the order, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to obey it. We are going to speak what God tells us to speak, no matter the fact that you have told us not to speak it. But you can decide which one we should obey. It's a great response. So there are your eight passages, and there are more. But I will get back to this when we return about when we must disobey. Do not go away. Rob Walter, Red Sky Radio. We'll be right back. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. 
That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. This is Rob Walter. We're back with Red Sky Radio. You know what? I just got to throw in a couple of things here before I return to our topic of the day. Uh, <laughs> I just I, I am tickled about. I mean, first of all, I love Bob Seger's song uh, "Katmandu." It's the capital of Nepal. But I'm tickled by the fact. I just I think I find it humorous that Nepal, which is not a highly populated country, on all you listeners in Nepal has risen to about fourth or fifth of, of the foreign countries that listen to this program. And I don't know. Maybe I don't know if God ever gives me uh, an opportunity to go there. I'll have to uh, – it'll probably take an invitation. Um, but nonetheless, I am, I'm, I'm thrilled that you and Nepal are listening to this program. And I did not play Katmandu with the idea of getting you guys to listen. I love the song. I've been playing it forever, long before you were hearing this program. But I also wanted to return to my my blanking earlier because I went into a direction I wasn't even thinking about. I was trying to give you that quote about profanity and the Democrats who use the F word because that's just a key word in their vocabulary, which only consists of a few words, Islamophobic, homophobic, hate speech, you know, blah, uh, you know, whatever. And then they, they cap it off with the F word all the time. Here is a quote. I finally, it came to me during the break. Profanity is the attempt of a feeble mind to express itself forcibly. And I'm not saying where it occasionally bleeps out or something like that, burps out, but, but, but as a routine, this is a person who can't, cannot express themselves Anyway, else because they're actually a rather feeble mind. So they crank up the volume and the angst and the animus to substitute for substance. Because when somebody starts talking like that, ask yourself, okay, what's the substance of what they're saying? Well, you realize they think that they think that anger and volume is a satisfactory substitute for common sense and reason and substance. And it is not, of course. Okay. Back, back to when do we disobey the civil authorities? Before the break, I had said there are two times, there are two distinct themes that emerge from all of Scripture when we have an option to disobey. No, 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 no. When we have an obligation to disobey the authorities. And that is, number one, when the law commands us to do something that Scripture prohibits, or the law prohibits us from doing something that Scripture commands. Now, if you take all the eight verses that I referenced from Exodus, Joshua, 1 Samuel, two from Esther, two from Daniel, and for those of you who don't think the Old Testament has any relevance today, uh, Acts uh, 4, you will see that in every single example, that's why this this teaching is important, that in every single example they fall into one of those two categories, that the law was commanding those who are disobedient to do something that Scripture prohibited, or the law was prohibiting them from doing something Scripture commands, such as with Peter and John speaking the Word of God. We're not, well, you know, candle isn't put on a, under a bushel, we're to be the light. We're supposed to shout it from the housetops. We're supposed to be in season, uh, instant in season and out of season. Uh, we're to always be prepared to have an account for the hope that lies within us. This means speaking the word wherever we go and have the opportunity to do so. That's something we're commanded to do. And if we are prohibited from doing it, if we are put in jail for doing it, if we are punished in some way, you know what? It doesn't really matter. The, the, the command does not change. Now, you might use some discretion in how you go about it. 
and those in the United States are going to have to use increased discretion. But don't let discretion be your substitute for climbing up and shutting up and becoming, frankly, not part of the way, but being in the way. Now, why is this so important? I mean, so important. Well, consider the how powerful a witness is in the right place and time. Did Paul clam up when he was arrested? No, Paul became Apostle Paul became more bold when he was actually in positions of incarceration, and he spoke the word, and the word was bold. Because, in fact, the matter is sometimes. There will be no way that a king or a judge or a magistrate or a jury or a legislature will hear the word of God until, until you rise up before them and speak against what they are doing and saying and acting upon it. Keep in mind or consider something that John Wesley, the great John Wesley said a long time ago, he said, quote, Making an open stand against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness which overspreads our land as a flood is one of the noblest ways of confessing Christ. I want to read that again. That making an open stand against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness which overspreads our land as a flood is one of the noblest ways of confessing Christ. End quote. You see, there may be no greater opportunity to bring God's word to certain people by, than by opposing them in what they are doing, standing up against them and saying, no, king, you don't have the right to do this. You are. Did John the Baptist do that? Absolutely. John the Baptist did not speak openly only about King Herod illegally having his brother Philip's wife Herodias. It says in the gospel, and I think it's in John, or in Luke, I think it's Luke, that it says that no, he also spoke publicly and openly about all the evils Herod did. All the evils. President Clinton, you shouldn't be having sex with Monica Lewinsky. Go right on down the line. The challenge to authority, the admonition to those who are in office to obey God's word, and when necessary, the disobedience of one of these under one of these two circumstances is, as Wesley was saying, one of the most noble ways of confessing Jesus. And consider Charles Finney, the lawyer turned preacher. Quote, there can scarcely be conceived a more abominable and fiendish maxim than our country, right or wrong, end quote. Now, this is a tough one for me to quote because I love our country. But will I come to the point where no matter what our country does, right or wrong, I will be for America no matter how evil we would become? Look, you have heard me for eight years preach against the evil and the wickedness exported by this country under Barack Hussein. <laughs> you heard it almost on a weekly basis. And, and, and the evil and the wickedness that would be have been uh, exported under Hillary Clinton and imposed upon this country by her and which will be if uh, under uh, the reign of Athaliah, Kamala Harris, should she be elected? And the necessity to stand up against possibly our own country when it goes that direction. You can't say, it's my country, right or wrong. Well, it is our country, right or wrong, in the sense that we're still, uh, you know, I, I don't have any intention presently of moving from America to Kathmandu. That is not why I'm playing the song. That's not my present intention. But I will not stand here and say, no matter what our country does, it's right. Under no circumstance. That's not a witness. That, that Now you're just a lackey. You're just a lemming. You're just a feckless eunuch. And if you're in the pulpit, you're a feckless eunuch in a robe. If you're going around and simply complying with anything and everything that the country does under all circumstances and never raising your voice against the evil, which, as Wesley said, overspreads our land like a flood. Now, there are some out there who will probably write me and say, well, the Scripture says that rebellion is as witchcraft. 
That's out of, uh, I think it's First Samuel. I, I think it is. But anyway, rebellion is as witchcraft. Well, we're not talking about overthrowing the government. This is not about rising up and overthrowing and, uh, and having a revolution to overthrow the powers in Washington. Yeah, I'd like to drain the swamp. Yeah, am I becoming a fan of, of term limits? Yeah, I am very, very reluctantly because I don't like the concept because, because the problem with Nancy Pelosi ultimately is not Nancy Pelosi. It's the people in San Francisco that elect her. They are the problem. So to throw Nancy Pelosi out and just get some clone of hers who actually isn't drunk a good part of the time and actually can speak some basic coherent uh, sentences, form them together, is not what I want. I like her being as, a, as just a moronic baboon poster child of the Democrat Party. I like her being there. I really do. Somebody else could actually do more damage than she. But she's not the problem. Ultimately, it's the people in San Francisco and the people in New Jersey and the people in New York who just who have decided to establish new killing fields and expand them through their abortion on demand right up to the point of birth. Uh, kill them, suck their brains out, do whatever you want. And those children who survive abortion, you get to just leave them there and let them rot and die. You see, you need to oppose that. I'm opposing it by doing this program. But the rebellion as witchcraft is not speaking to rebelling against civil authority under any and all circumstances. If you read the passage, it deals with rebelling against the word of God, not rebelling against a government for the sake of a rebellion. It's against, it, it is so clear. But those who do not have the guts to take up a position of opposition, would be they in the pulpit or in the pew, or in neither. Those who don't have the guts to take up opposition to a take a position of opposition are those who will cite, especially those in the church, who will cite that passage that you're opposing the powers of be as a rebellion, you're involved in witchcraft. Well, tell me, when is witchcraft consist of obeying God's word? Witchcraft here clearly, very, very clearly, reflects the fact that it is rebellion against God's word. It's like witchcraft. And those who cite that passage, frankly, do not have a clue what they're talking about because they haven't read the word. So people say, well, how does this play out? Well, do you know Corey Tenboom? Uh, if you remember her, she's sort of a generation, well, actually two generations ago now. She was a Dutch woman, part of the Dutch uh, underground, who hid Jews in her home during World War II from the Nazis. So the Nazis would come to her door, and they'd say, are you, are you hiding people? She said, no, just like Rahab. Just flat out tell them you know, something that's not true. No, I don't have any here. And at one point, I think she had as many as 19 stashed away because she was doing a good deed to God's children, to God's anointed, his chosen. And she was a, she was a blessing to those individuals. And was, did God punish her? No, no, no. He, award, he rewarded her. She ended up going around the world. Coming, I think she came to the United States and preaching and books and movie about her. God promoted her. You see, that's the key here. In every one of these cases, it seems God has promoted the people who have stood by him. Now, there was a book a long time ago by Samuel Rutherford called Lex Rex. Now, Lex Rex is Latin for the law is king. And why was this so unpopular? Because it, in essence, the law at the time was Rex Lex. The king is law. Rex Lex means the king is law. Lex Rex means the law is king. I know it's a bit confusing. But Rutherford based that really upon the life of David out of 1 Samuel chapters 20 to 22. And he set up a process by which we are to resist the civil authority and know this, that we don't just start by trying to, uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't start with big major measures any more than David did. David started 
with protest. He, he, you know, he, as much as possible, I mean, he did, he submitted to Saul so much so that uh, he wouldn't touch God's anointed. And you say, well, Saul was anointed. Well, he was at one point, but to David, if he was ever anointed, he was still anointed and he wasn't going to touch God's anointed. In fact, so much so that he, David, slew the man who bragged about having killed Saul at Saul's own request. He bragged about it. Now, the man actually lied, but he was trying to impress David, like, hey, I killed your enemy. So who are you to think you can touch and kill God's anointed? So God killed that guy. Or, I mean, David killed that guy. David was very respectful, incredibly respectful of the authority that was in place. However, he started with protest. He sent his good friend, his beloved friend Jonathan, to Saul to say, look, why do you do this? Why are you after me? What wrong have I done? He took all of those measures he reasonably could. Maybe today the equivalent would be filing lawsuits, having lawyers uh, rise up and protest, like the, like the lawyers that took the case of the woman who got fired because she wouldn't work on the Sabbath and won a $21 million award. Hey, that should have been in the good news section, right? So you see that uh, the, the, it starts with a protest that carries, whether it's a protest in the streets, whether a petition for redress of grievances with the government, whether it's lawsuits, you don't start out at the, at the top and then work your way down. You start at the lowest level and work your way up. Rutherford pointed this out in Lex Rex, all based on Scripture. If you want to see that process, read First Samuel chapters 20 to 22. When, when and if that doesn't work, then you flee, which is exactly what David did. He didn't rise up to overthrow Saul. He fled. He fled the situation. If you can remove yourself, you remove yourself. In common day parlance, in common day analogy to this, will be where we are in this United States in a relatively short period of time. And that will be states to which godly people flee to, like they did, as it states in Chronicles. Uh, there were those priests and those Levites who fled the ungodly regions of Israel and fled to Jerusalem because of the idolatry that, and the wickedness that was imposed upon the inhabitants of the ten tribal area called Jerusalem by Jeroboam and all of his wicked successors. They fled. They voted with their feet and got out of Dodge, and they went to Jerusalem. In, in common day parlance, this would be a state that secedes. You know, the state can't get up and leave. Not everybody from Texas or Tennessee, or the two states that I think will secede first would be Tennessee and Oklahoma, maybe. But you can't just all get up and go to Nepal, right? And you guys in Nepal probably don't want everybody from Tennessee or whatever the country is. You can't always flee, but if you can, you do. That's the principle. It's one of the reasons we removed our ministry from California because of the oppression that was going that that's a precursor to the persecution we got out i'm not saying everybody else in california that listens to this program ought to get out but you just you know you consider what you're hearing here so you flee and if and in a state level a large level that would be secession it would be a state like let's just say texas which i don't think texas is a state but it might might be the it, it, it may well join the secession, whether it's the first state out, I don't know. But when somebody like Obama or Cammie Harris comes around and says, you've got to keep aborting the babies. If I were the governor of the state, I would just shut the abortion clinics down. If As long as you keep them open, are you not being a participant? Are you not doing that which the Hebrew midwives refuse to do? They say, well, they, you know, King, King Pharaoh said, you got to kill these kids. Isn't that what the Supreme Court is saying? You must have these abortion clinics. You must oversee and supervise and make sure that the women can safely kill their unborn. No, just shut them down. He said, it's a constitutional crisis, folks. We already have a crisis before God. Now, if it comes to the point that having fled, 
you still are pursued. If they're still after you, what is that saying? Just because I may be par- just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not after me. Well, look, if they are still after you, like Saul, then left the regions of Judea and Samaria to come after David down in Gaza, which was Philistine territory. If they come after you at that point, at some point when you can no longer flee, you got to defend. And I mean arms. In this day and age, that means guns. It means ammo. Should you look for the opportunity to use them? No. Should you be ready to use them? Yes. Should you be trained to use them? Yes. Should you be disciplined in their use? Absolutely, because it is not your first tool. It is your last tool, but it is a tool in your toolkit, which is God-ordained. Got to be ready to do it. So where does this leave all of us? Where, where, where does this, where are we left? I have given you in 56 minutes as much of a teaching as I possibly can fit into 56 minutes. I have not cluttered this with other stories of anything else. But keep in mind that obedience to God will always eclipse obedience to man. To, as, to the extent possible, you live peaceably with all men. But when you can't, it doesn't say you still have to live peaceably. It says as much as is possible. Well, when is it no longer possible? As I said, when the law commands you to do something that Scripture prohibits, or when the law prohibits us from doing something Scripture commands. So the consequences? We all get promoted when we do God's work. We may get promoted in different ways, but we all get promoted. Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, all were willing to die. None of them died. I mean, as a result of the persecution. And indeed, they were all promoted and promoted significantly. Significantly. John the Baptist, he opposed, and he opposed sincerely and vigorously. Was he promoted? Yes, he was. Did, was he willing to die? Yes, he was. You can't, you can't oppose King Herod and not be willing to die for opposing him. Was he delivered in this life? No, he was not. He was killed. He was beheaded. Was he promoted, however? Yes, he was. Did Jesus not say there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist? John greater than Samuel. John greater than Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or go right on down the line, or Moses, because Moses was a prophet as well, in a limited sense. Jesus Jesus gave John the Baptist the highest commendation you could get for having lived before Jesus went to the cross. The highest. Now, it resulted in death. But where he is in heaven, my guess, folks, is, is really, really, really high. He was, a, he was promoted. Bigly, as President Trump would say, he was promoted bigly. Well, here's the deal. Scripture says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. If we are afraid of death, we are afraid of doing what God has called us to do in circumstances where we need to make that open stand against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness which overspreads our land as a flood. We are avoiding the noblest ways of confessing Christ because here's the scary part. It says that those who confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father in heaven, and those who refuse to confess or deny him before men, Jesus will deny that person before God the Father. You see what's at stake is not just the 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 standing up to our for our country if it's doing right and standing up against our country when it's doing wrong and speaking to those evils that overspread the land. It will ultimately come down to a decision. Are you going to confess Jesus or not? If you are, you are promoted in whatever way, shape, or form because Jesus will confess us before the Father in heaven. And if you...
KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. The Midwest is battling fierce cold. Among those who've died in this brutally cold weather, a Milwaukee man found frozen in a garage. A man struck and killed by a snowplow in the Chicago area and a young couple whose SUV hit another vehicle on a snowy road in Indiana. Throughout the region, schools and businesses closed, some airline flights and train service was canceled, and the Postal Service suspended mail delivery in parts or all of several Midwest states. I'm Rita Foley. Patients from the Federal Reserve helped to spur a rise in stock prices. The Federal Reserve's announcement that it would be patient about interest rate increases turned modestly higher stock prices upward. The Dow Jones Industrial